I too, in the early 90s, found myself being baptised in Adelaide at a high school where the Baptist church we went to met and that was the song when I, I was thinking about that when I was singing it. I thought I haven't sang this song for a long time and um, one of the memories that comes is being baptised and hearing that song being sung as many of us were baptised that day. We must be from the same era, Ken. Didn't think I was that old yet. <coughs> Trust him. So just a picture of Rach and I back in the day doing our thing, one of those special dates. That's how we met, yeah. <laughs> State Youth Games, it looks like, doesn't it, Fat. Trust, wrath has taught me a lot. We've got to look up the dictionary to learn things. Trust means a firm belief in the reliability, truth or ability of someone or something. There's uh, things that people that we trust every day. Uh, if you have children, they're off to school, then you you trust the school to keep them safe. Uh, you trust the teachers to teach them things. You trust the train driver if you jump jump on at Monty to go into the city to get you there safely. We trust in the ability of people to do things for us, to make our coffee right. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about this week. Might sound a bit odd, but you know, I have some odd thoughts and especially while I'm by myself in that office sometimes for a day. <clears throat> I was thinking about the Bible. How could we, if in one sentence, could we summarize the Bible? How would you do it? And uh, you might read this and think, oh, I need to talk to Josh after, fix that up. He's got that, he's way off. And this is no official uh, document that's going to go into the Monty Community Church's uh, constitution or anything. It's just something I thought about during the week. If you summarise the Bible in all of its words and stories, how would you summarise it? Fallen humanity, trusting in God's plan of salvation, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I, I did this little exercise just because I was, as I considered Isaiah um, and, and, and the story of Isaiah and, and what Isaiah is about, it, it is actually so much in common with what you could probably summarise the Bible about. Fallen humanity trusting in God's plan of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, I've said it a number of times through this series in Isaiah. Isaiah is about God's, God's people and, and a recognition of who God is and God telling his people through the prophet, where are you going to place your trust? Where are you going to show your faith? When your backs are against the wall, when you're up against it and life is hard, where will you put your confidence, your trust, in what truth, 
In whose ability? Humanity has been able to come up with all sorts of devices, with all sorts of religions and coping mechanisms to get through life. If you Google uh, Google sort of religions or worldwide religions, there's some there's like the top twelve. We're all really familiar with with some of the you know the Islam and Buddhism and and the like, and Christianity is obviously in there. But there's somewhere between 4,000 and some even estimate up to 10,000 religions around the world. People are searching for something to put their trust in. People have always and will always continue to search for truth, for purpose. To, to lean on something, to trust in something greater than themselves. Not sure if you've ever noticed, this might sound a bit random, but give me a moment, how useless a torch is during the day. Pretty useless. I mean, in darkness, a torch can provide a little bit of light as you walk ahead or try to find the toilet as you're camping in the middle of nowhere. But as soon as dawn breaks and the sun's out, the torch is useless, doesn't do anything. Um, I I remember we used to go to Belgrave uh, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, every Easter. And there was a big, you know, especially from this church, a lot of people headed up to Belgrave at that time and um, in that era. And <clears throat> with the back of the Diamond Valley campsite, uh, there was that uh, area where we would sit around, there was a bit of a fire. And it got really dark in that space. Um, <clears throat> as a young sort of youth and young adults would like you know would sit around that and I, I remember one night we we had the torch out and we were doing that you know that thing where you put the torch on your face in the dark and then you do that scary story I didn't even get to the story I just put it on my face and like Pat was already scared <laughs> not so scary if it's the middle of the day is it uh, not so scary. You try to tell a scary story in the middle of the day with the sun out and the torch on your face. Like, stupid. We're going to start at the end of the passage. You know, some movies you start at the end, it shows you something from the end of the movie and then it says like six months earlier. We're going to do that, but it's going to be like six verses earlier. But we're going to start at the end of the passage. You see, many in Israel, and of course the world, but the initial reader of this from Isaiah is to the Israelites and many did not acknowledge Yahweh as their God, the creator of the universe, the God of Israel. Many did not listen to, did not submit to, did not obey their God. And verse 11 says that they lit their own fires They had their own torches. 
They had their own light. And they're going through life with their own light, shining their own way. Ignoring God. Approaching spiritus and mediums. And relying on the the strength and the abilities of nations and armies around them. But those things aren't real light. Nothing compares to the light of the world. You see, in verse 10 says it is to these that are called to trust in the name of God. Those that walk in darkness. And chapter 8 in Isaiah describes these peoples who, who they're, they're people who do not hear the word of God. They're people who do not obey or follow God's word. They have no light. They are plunged, it says, into darkness and separated from God. Initially to captive Israel, this message of you who are not in the light, who are in the darkness, separated from God, this message is for you. Trust in him. Stop worrying about your own torch, your own light to get through life. Trust in the light that God has for you. And the servant in chapter 49, a couple of weeks ago we spoke on this in verse 6, says that The Lord says to the servant, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you walk in light? Do you live in the light of God? Have you experienced in your life, like like Ken and I have, and I know many of you have, but have you experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, his love and mercy, his faithfulness. Because for those that walk in darkness, it says, this offer is for you. There is light to be had in your life. A light that is far greater than your own torch, your own little match. A life of light, of trusting the servant, experiencing life out of darkness, a life of peace and and purpose. As I said a few weeks ago, I was speaking from Isaiah 49 and it's the the second um, of four servant songs or poems in Isaiah. Uh, in 42, in 49, in 50 here, 4 to 11... And in a couple of weeks, Lindsay Tunbridge will be here to share from uh, 52 and 53. Those well-known verses about the, the suffering servant. But this morning, we, as these songs continue into this third song, I want to focus in on two aspects to the servant. One is the character of the servant. And the second one is the 
action of the servant. You see, we read here that the the character of the servant is one who listens before speaking. One who learns before he teaches. In Luke 2, we're told that Jesus grew in and was filled with wisdom. That he sat with teachers and listened and asked questions and gave answers. And they were amazed. Because at 12 years old, it was the sovereign Lord who had instructed the servant. It was God the Father who was given instructions to the servant, speaking into his ear. Mackenzie is coincidentally 12 years old at the moment. I was thinking about that during the week as I was reading through Luke 2. Not to put Mackenzie on any sort of par with Jesus in that way, but Mackenzie reads a lot, has a passion for reading. Uh, She's read more books this year than I've read in my life. And that's the truth. Although she does tend to roll the eyes over when I try to tell her something that I know that she doesn't. There's not a lot of things that I know that she doesn't. You see, the character of the servant is a stark reminder to the people of Israel that everything you are not of God's people, the servant is. We talked a little bit about comparison a few weeks ago. In verse 1 to 3, Andrew touched on this last week, that it's the, it's the sin and the rebellion and the transgressions of the people. That's why they're in captivity. That's why Jerusalem has been overrun, because of their disobedience, their lack of listening, their lack of learning, their lack of trust. But there is one coming, that goes into verse 4, there is one coming who will listen to the Sovereign Lord, who will learn, who will be instructed and will be obedient, even to death on a cross. Are you one to speak before listening? Like to tell people what they need to do before perhaps learning yourself. I um, was speaking with, with Stewie the other week uh, about our late dear brother Rob Willett and uh, some advice that was given to him was then passed on to me when someone would come with a concern or an issue and wanted to raise it with him and talk about something straight away, you know, it might have been a bit emotional and his response was to constantly say, not let me let's think about that. Let's think that through and 
I'll get back to you tomorrow. Let's talk about it in a couple of days. And I think that's really wise advice. I think this character of the servant, this listening before speaking, learning before teaching, being obedient, it is a bad attitude. It comes down to attitude. You see, the attitude of pride says, I already know. You need to listen to me. I can teach you. But I think we get absolutely nowhere, especially relationally with people. We get nowhere when pride and arrogance is our attitude. Very hard to build a relationship of trust when pride and arrogance is our attitude. But the humble attitude of Christ, as we know in Philippians 2, meant that he put aside the fact that he's God. And he took on a servant nature to be obedient. You see, we'll never get an opportunity to share God's word. We'll never get the opportunity to share God's truth with people if our attitude is pride and arrogance. We'll never get to be the the light of God in the darkness of this world if our attitude is pride and arrogance. I reflected on this this week as I think back over, you know, 25, 30 years of being a Christian and the many opportunities that have gone before me to stand up for what is right, to walk away from a conversation that is inappropriate, to say something that would be going against the grain of what everyone else's opinion is. To speak up instead of taking the easy option of just being quiet. And I think most of those opportunities missed are out of a sense of attitude of pride. That if I say something now, if I step out in say something now, there is a, my image is going to be knocked down or I'll be looked down upon. And it reminded me that we need to put off position, forget about privilege, forget about power and control just like Christ didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped so we must put off our positions our places of power and take on this humble attitude that Christ so well displays and sets the example for us.
That's the character. And now we turn to the action of the servant. And the action is that he will, he will suffer. And it's briefly touched on here in, in verse six. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. They're familiar words when you know the story of, uh, of the gospel, the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. And as I said before, we'll hear more about those, uh, the suffering servant in more detail in, in 52 and 53 in a couple of weeks. But when we are obedient to God, when we are obedient to God and we follow with an attitude of humility, there is no shame or disgrace. Disgrace is a, means, there's similar sort of meanings, but disgrace means a, a loss of reputation or respect as the result of a dishonourable action. Shame is, means a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behaviour. So they're both talking about uh, a wrong behaviour, a, a dishonourable action that lead to a loss of reputation or respect or a feeling of humiliation, shame and disgrace. But you see, there is no shame or disgrace when suffering is experienced in the life as we trust God, listen to him and obey him. Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. There is no humiliation in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ for dying for our sins, being raised to life and making a way for us to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe. There is no shame in standing up for that truth. Sure, you may be put down. People might reject you. You might be laughed at in the schoolyard, the workplace. But that should be expected and accepted as believers in light of sharing the good news. I believe God honours that life. God honours that behaviour. That is not dishonourable action. That is not foolish behaviour to stand up for the truth. There's no disgrace. There's no shame in following God, in being obedient to our Father. Yet when we choose dishonourable action, when we deliberately choose the wrong thing to do, the foolish things to do, and we get caught out and exposed. And I stand here, I know in my life what that feels like, what that looks like. 
and you're sitting there and, and you probably know exactly what that feels like in your life and what it's been and what the issues have been. The Israelites were suffering. The Israelites are captive. Because of their sin. Because of their pride. Because of their lack of obedience. Because of their lack of trust in God. They did make foolish decisions. We've read about them. They did make silly dishonourable actions, trusting in the armies and the gods of other nations, leaning on the wisdom and the guidance of mediums and it's led them to suffering and captivity. As a whole nation, they were shamed and disgraced. Yet you compare just a few verses down to the servant the servant, there's no disgrace, there's no shame. The servant was obedient in following God. And we have a father in heaven who, yes, allows suffering to happen. And we've heard about people that are going through difficult times right now but he helps us through he is near he forgives he is on our side and no one is in a position to condemn or accuse the servant Because the sovereign Lord helps me, he says. The sovereign Lord vindicates me. He is near me. We heard from these verses earlier in Romans 8. But it is so relevant. I just want to go back to verse 31. If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge? against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble Hardship, sickness, broken relationships, 
Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We may be a people who have made some foolish decisions, some silly, wrong behaviours, dishonourable actions, and perhaps people have lost respect for you. Your reputation's copped a battering. But in Christ... There is no one who can bring the charge against you of, of sin, of wrongdoing. There is no one who can condemn you for what you've done wrong in your life because God poured out all his anger and righteous wrath on Jesus Christ. And we stand forgiven. So where is your light coming from this morning? Are you simply one who has got your own torch and you're going through life lighting your own way? You know, the the light of the world, the saviour of the world, the servant of God who is described here, is the only way out of darkness. Let him who walks in darkness, who has no light, if you've never experienced the forgiveness and the light of Jesus Christ in your life, this morning, trust in him. The only way to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe is to trust in Jesus. Do you trust him this morning? Are you in a place to say, yes, I want to trust him with my life. I am in darkness and I need the light. If that is something you want to discuss and talk about, I'd love to talk to you more about that. You want to come and pray about something like that, come and meet down the front we're more than happy to do that father god we do thank you that salvation is not something that we can earn or buy but you've simply asked us to trust in the servant jesus christ who paid the price for our sins and died that ugly death Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the life we have. Life of purpose. A life of power. A life of light. And for the hope of eternity that we'll be with you. Bless us and challenge us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.